So if in episode number three in Alice in Gothic Land, The Road to Self-Recognition, we talked about some of the Gothic elements in Midnight Mass, such as location, the sublime, and all the elements started filtering in these other spaces, because this is one of the characteristics of the Gothic, as you saw in episode three. In episode four, talking to um, Tuche Kuthlu again, we're going to be analyzing in depth the uncanny and identity. You're going to see also how the otherness filters there. Uh, it's unavoidable. And we're going to tell you all about that, not without some humor, not without some serious moments, because we are just a little bit crazy, but that's why you keep coming back to us. There are some surprises, so come and see what those surprises are going to be, because we have some, some announcements to do as well. So if you are ready to um, discover the Gothic elements in this Southern, in this uh, Southern Gothic, in American Southern Gothic of Midnight Mass, this episode number four it's video my friends so i'll see you there Hello, Tucci. 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 It's like Che Guevara. Like... Che Guevara, guys. Two. Tucci. Imagine two Che Guevaras. So two Che. Oh, that's perfect. It's so easy. It's, 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 it's so easy, guys. The surname. The surname, please. Yeah. How do you pronounce the surname? Kutlu. Kutlu. So I said right. The right yeah. last video I messed up, I edited it because I call you Cthulhu, like <laughs> Cthulhu, I is that HP Lovecraft? Like what <laughs> <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. It's very Lovecraftian. My surname is very Lovecraftian, I know, I know, I'm aware. Mine was thinking. I'm a bear. I'm a little bit of Lovecraftian. <laughs> we have having an identity crisis right now because just before we start in part four, yeah, yeah. everybody, welcome to Alice in Gothic Land. <laughs> in the the road to self recognition, we are today with Tuchi Kutlu, not Cthulhu or Cthulhu or anything like that. We don't do Lovecraft, not yet. <laughs> No, not yet, not yet. And before we just uh, opened up the microphones and the camera, we were just talking about the sublime because this is how we left it. And we were just laughing at our thoughts and our tastes and and, and, and to change, all of a sudden change her personality. She became this person <laughs> in Harry Potter. From, from Harry Potter universe. I was like, follow me, Mr. Potter. Like, where do you follow me? Where? Where am I going? Like, what the hell? 
we were looking at these paintings. I was showing her my sublime painting, and I was, I know, very beautiful, very beautiful painting. Exactly, one of was my favorites as well. Yeah, Wanderer. Really or the wonder over the really sea. Really good, really good. I'm getting it right so you can see the reflection. It's a bit distracting. But okay. yeah, because it's got a glass thing. Uh, so yeah, we were saying that that's for me, the sublime. And uh, for the and romantic. For me, it's for this. Teacher. It's this. I'm setting it on fire. No, this is not actually a fire, guys. <laughs> so, so don't try this at home, please. And I was showing her my favorite from Renoir. It's called The Skiff. And as you can see, this is Riley and Erin's final moments. That's why you like that so much, because you like that painting yes. so much. And yes, I know. Like, it isn't the same. Like, really lovely day, lovely people just hanging around the boat, hanging around the skiff. But then suddenly... One... Fire! <laughs> Remember that this uh, we do spoilers because if not, we won't have so much fun. So we recommend that you either have watched it or that you you don't care about having spoilers or not because <laughs> going because... back to it's got these as well the lantern. So okay, now are you the vampire or or the priest? Because look, you've got the torch. So I must be. Yeah, I've got the torch. I, so I, I'm hopefully, uh, I'm not the monster. Well, <laughs> I, I'm hoping because I'm the one holding the holding the light. So, so I must the be the priest, the right? The I must be the. the yeah, I'm. I must be the monsignor. So, uh, yeah, because so, the vampire. I mean, do I look like? The vampire? I hope not. Uh, <laughs> you're well, you're like, oh, you look like a vampire a lot. <laughs> no, look, I'm the pale one here. <laughs> With these lines, I'm super pale. Um, uh, uh, yes, after I'm drinking coffee, so I'm the one with the bad breath. <laughs> no, no, coffee. Yet. I mean, coffee. That's coffee does funny. that to everybody. Coffee does that yes, to everybody. That's so I saying. drink tea. We have some tea. <laughs> and coffee and tea and chin chin for you. So we're going for part four. <laughs> we're doing part four of this mini series talking about midnight mask spoilers, lots of spoilers, as you know. But if this is the first time that you land on this video, then uh, you're very welcome to come in our house <laughs> and uh, leave some of your happiness that you bring with you. <laughs> Uh, so yes, what do we need? You won't about. need that here. You won't need that happiness here. <laughs> That's so true. No, because we are all about grief, horror. Um, we don't cry, you know, but we could do because there's a lot of things to cry about. Cry. We cry you know. laughing sometimes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what we're doing here, we just uh, interviewing, we we're talking, we're, talking, we're learning lots of things. I'm certainly am learning lots, lots of things with teaching this mini series. We were going to do just one to talk about Midnight Mass, but then so many things we can relate to Midnight Mass that we just keep doing programs and programs and God knows how long we're going to be with this because we can do a lot of references to a lot of other things in our lives. Yeah. So it's like a We will be 60 years old and still be talking about Midnight Mass. <laughs> can you imagine? The candle. With the candle. Before Me with the candle. <laughs> Before we proceed, support us, people. If you're learning, if you're having fun, if you are ticking, your brain is ticking, and you find that this is a place where you can actually work on your fears and your identity, support us on our coffee page. I forgot to laugh. Uh, romantic number 1402, Valentine's Day. I don't know why coffee decided that, <laughs> but support us there and then uh, we can continue creating good stuff for you. And if you were here on episode three, we mentioned that for those who would like to talk to us live, we are thinking of doing a live event to put together maybe the best moments, the best parts, but also for people to ask questions 
maybe you have suggestions of other things you would like to talk about and bring them to this live event that we will soon tell you when it's going to happen then hey this is something new and we will give you all the information so keep an eye and this is coming very very soon episode four we're going to talk about the uncanny identity because we will not have time to talk about the supernatural and otherness i don't think so i think also we will leave um the supernatural is coming into all the other topics and so is otherness but I think they need like their own space and then probably it's going to be episode five with those other two elements and episode six is going to have to be for characters even though we're talking about the characters as we're going along because it's obviously we can't just mm, separate things and chop them up chop them up so much that that then we get um you know the characters are appearing all the time but then there are aspects of identity that will come up as the characters with the characters as well. So yes, the uncanny. We have to mention our friend Simon Freud that you mentioned him before, and I've called this yeah I have this this part the unfamiliar familiar because mm-hmm. of the series. I, I know there's a lot unheimlich heimlich <laughs> in German. Correct. Let's talk about talk a little bit German for our German friends out there. Yeah, can you speak German? Uh, you can speak German? No, you, I could. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I did get German uh, in high school for a year. Yeah, I did. So we could go to Hallo, wie geht's? (laughs) Hallo. (laughs) Wie geht's dir? Hey. Suddenly, suddenly, this it turns into a German lesson. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, we like languages, so we get multinational here. Yeah, I love languages <laughs> so much. It's good. It's good. Yeah, you're right. The Heimlicher. This is actually I'm gonna quote my very good friend as well, Tracy Fahi. I talk about it all the time, and um, she thinks I'm her stalker, but we're really good friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I just I just talk about it all the time. Is she is she aware? Is 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 Tracy yeah. aware that you're yeah, good yeah. friends? <laughs> yeah, okay. she's aware and she yes, we have our accountability group with uh, together with uh, Justin Park, another writer. He's a horror writer and editor and he's got an editorial as well, a little publishing company. And uh, we do these accountability groups once a month now, and she knows I talk about them all the time. They're like my god parents here. <laughs> and Tracy has a great book. Um, she's got a few books, in fact, but she's got this one, the Umheimlich Manuas in the Dark. And she's got a, like a little introductory chapter too, an introduction and then an introductory chapter, like a mini essay. Mm, that she talks about this aspect of the Umheimlicher because of her book and also because of the way she works on on the Gothic. And she says that um, this Umheimlicher was based on an essay called On the Psychology of the Uncanny, written in 1906. But this mm-hmm. was written by Ernst Jens, who defined Uncanny as a fear of the unfamiliar, and that Freud took this to the next level saying that it's in reality nothing new or foreign, but something familiar and old established in the mind that has been estranged only by the process of repression. Uh, so some of the motifs, she says, that derived from the uncanny and gave its more poignant characteristics were the doppelgangers, uh, what all these lies now, hang on, doppelgangers, dolls, deja vus, corpses, invisible illnesses, the return of the repressed homes that are haunted not only by specters, but memories and secrets and anxieties that recur repeatedly. And I love the way she works on these on her books. So I shout so here true. to Tracy and all her books because they are fantastic. And I will put the links on the <clears throat> on the video as well. So yes, I, I collected these ideas because of again of what what we're talking about here today, the Midnight Mass. Yeah. And I can see when I was looking for the information that these elements really resonate with Midnight Mass again. But I'll let you now elaborate on your um, idea and knowledge of the Uncanny, and then we'll complement that if you want. 
Of course. I mean, uh, it's really, uh, it's a really fascinating thing, Uncanny. And I had to uh, really research it for my dissertation on grief and horror films because uh, death is also something decaying bodies, death, and all things that should be familiar to us but are also unfamiliar. And uh, of course, Freud's essay, uh, according to sources, and of course, the essay itself is written in two parts. And the first part, it looks at the words of Heimlich and Unheimlich. Uh, the, you can translate it as uh, homely and unhomely, uh, as it you know directly translates into English. And uh, I think the, the essay in the first part, it talks about its uses and how these words are used in other languages. And uh, in the second part, Freud talks about, you know, people and things and self-expressions, you know, experiences and situations that best represent the feeling of uncanny. Mm -hmm. And uh, Freud talks about a short story here, uh, The Sandman by E.T.A. Hoffman, which is mm -hmm. very important. It's a tale that uh, parents would tell their children that uh, will make them go to sleep because the story goes that the child must be asleep for the Sandman to put sand in the child's eyes if they're not asleep the Sandman will take out their eyes. I mean, come on. That's not yeah. a bedtime story. That's a horror story. And <laughs> the protagonist of the story is a boy named Nathaniel. And his fate eventually does fall to the Sandman, losing not only his sight, but his sanity, then his life. Freud asserts that the removal of the eyes alludes to an infantile fear of castration and you know how freud feels about yeah. castration he talks about it all the time he talks about dicks and he talks about castration all the time <laughs> and <laughs> but the castration complex is masked by a fear of losing a different sensitive organ the eyes the same theme is present in the tragedy of oedipus another thing that another person that freud talks about at length Oedipus and Oedipal complex and as you said uh, yourself Freud talks about also talks about the double doppelganger in German and uh, of course uh, it, it was for uh, at first used by Otto Rank in 1914 in psychoanalytic literature but then Freud writes that doppelgangers can be found in mirrors shadows guardian spirits with the belief in the soul and the fear of death, the idea of the eternal soul allows us an energetic denial of the power of death. This was the first double of the body from having been an assurance of immortality. It becomes the uncanny harbinger of death. And this is so important uh, considering that we are looking at a show where uh, immortality is the main theme and uh, immortality and you know the body uh, mm -hmm. the double of the body and it becomes you know this uncanny harbinger of death is very important you can see it in the you know uh, adaptation uh, of you know this this uh, big screen um, uh, this, this TV show that uh, talks about the uncanny in a way that there's an eerie kind of church and there's an eerie kind of cave. Like everything is eerie and creepy and, and unfamiliar and familiar at the same time. You know, the, we have the pastor who is very familiar, but also unfamiliar because he's not himself. But the main uh, question here is the, that uncanny, our relationship with death itself is uncanny. And uh, that is shown in the show quite a lot. And uh, because, as I, I think I mentioned it before, like there are two experiences in life that we will all get.
get to share together. One is birth and the other one is death. But we talk about birth a lot, but we don't like to talk about death so much. And yeah, but it's so familiar to us actually. But it's yeah. also, as, as it is familiar, it's also unfamiliar because we haven't been through it, not yet. Uh, and after we are, you know, familiar with it, we can't talk about it because we, we are gone. And yeah. uh, no one is left to tell the story. And I, I love that Freud, uh, for example, Freud calls uncanny as this. Uncanny is in reality nothing new or alien, but something which is familiar and all established in the mind and which has become alienated from it only through the process of repression. And repression is important in Freud a lot because, uh, you know, he talks about the return of the repressed and uh, you cannot repress something forever, according to Freud. It will return in some form or another. And uh, in this case, in this case, death, uh, death is the one that's, that's been trying, they, they, they are trying to repress death, but they can't. It will return and it will return with a vengeance. I mean, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of uh, other films, for example, <laughs> Final Destination, where yes. they're trying to avoid death. They're trying <laughs> to avoid death. And that is like, no, I'm going to kill you worse now. Even worse than I would have been before. Before then, you would just have a plane crash. But now, I will put a glass in your eye or like some other gruesome death. And it basically mm -hmm. takes revenge on the living. And uh, this show is also about what is familiar and what is unfamiliar. There is, you know, uh, there is the home. There is the church. Church should be a familiar place. But then you see this angel or vampire or whatever in white robes in the church. And That's it's it. a very eerie looking creature. And it's unfamiliar, totally unfamiliar in, an, in a familiar setting. And everyone is like, what the hell is that? Like, what is that creature doing here? And the only ones who are not affected by it that are the ones that already know that this creature exists. And uh, so we see a lot uh, of unfamiliarity and familiarity in the, in the show in quite uh, different ways. And as, as it says, you know, uh, the repression is also there. And yeah. repression of the memories are also there in the show um there's uh, riley tries to repress the memory of the of the girl that she killed he killed and uh, but it comes back to haunt him forever it just you know he can't escape uh that stare but the only time that he feels at peace is when he's dying He's dying and he sees the girl and the girl is somehow giving a peaceful smile and then he just poof goes away into dust and into whatever unfamiliar thing that yeah, we, don't, we, don't, yeah. we don't know, we don't know and no. whatever uncanny thing that we don't know. And um, of course there's Aaron. Aaron is also having, you know, childhood memories that he she's uh, also she's a domestic abuse survivor so there's a lot of repression in the show if you look at yeah. it that way and yeah. uh, then there's father paul who's trying to repress the fact that he was attacked by a vampire and <laughs> tries to see it as a blessing by an angel and that is just uh, no no that's just a big no no, no. And of course, there is the repression of sex, the, the, the thing that Freud talks about the most. We mm. don't see any sex in the show. Like, hey, why? 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 Why do you I think know. that is? Yeah, yeah, I've not thought of that actually. But yeah, we have Erin yeah. and um, I think you don't in the. Riley. We see Erin and Riley, but we don't see any sex scenes in the show. No. 
No, and I think right? they actually they do not have sex. They just sleep because yeah. they keep each other's company. In yeah. a way, it's kind of it's nice because everything that you see in every show or film you see, there's always, always, always a sex scene. And yeah, it, it just reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Once Upon a Time, these fairy tales. Oh, fairy tale. I know, I know. And that it was very good because at some point, imagine, I was watching, I watched True Blood and then I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's polar opposites. Exactly. It was like, that's a nice break from someone's sex and killing. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought it was nice because, as you said, it was a, a bit of a break. And mm -hmm. maybe the childish mentality of, you know, kids are unaware of sex until they start growing up. They, they're aware of that. They know the parents do yeah. things, but they don't know how this works. But it's true that it's kind of a, an offensive uh way maybe because them too when we talk about the characters maybe they need these looking after after each other without the sexual connotations there even though erin is pregnant maybe that's the only sexual connotation we have apart from bev going fornicators and all that this is <laughs> bev oh my god do not make me i think the monster as i said before the monster of the show is bev definitely i mean I'm yeah. not talking about the vampire at all. Vampire is just there doing its nature stuff. Bev is supposed oh, to be a human being, but she's not. We need to dedicate time to Bev on her own because she's just got so much trauma, the poor lady, that, that uh, well, Carl Jung there uh, will find his own field, but we, we'll get to that. Yes. She has moment. so many problems. She has so a many problems. Well, she represents a type of society that... Yeah we still have them there yeah, and they do, do a lot of harm. When you're talking about, before we move to the next slide, um, you mentioned um, that how birth and, de and death, they similar, but we don't talk about death and yet we talk about birth. And you made me think that yeah, true. even birth is that thing that you cannot avoid talking about because that's it you you give birth and there's a lot of things going on around the birth of a person so you have all the plannings the preparation before it's even there and then all you have your all the scans all the tests and all the building up to this moment but then um there's a moment when the child is born mm -hmm. people do not talk about the birth experience itself they talk about oh look at the baby sound how beautiful but I always find annoying, extremely annoying. And I understand that some women actually have a wonderful time giving birth. I don't know how, but they do. Some of them are so lucky that they just give birth. And they have the contractions on time. The baby comes out on time and they just wonderful. Okay. That wasn't my experience. <laughs> and probably 98% of the population yeah. is not like that. And it is pretty annoying when you are walking in the street and you meet finally this lady that is giving birth and you say, how was the birth moment? We have these, these <laughs> morbid interest on how did you give birth <laughs> kind of thing to compare it. Yes, yes, And so go, you know, I'm expecting all the blood, the cuts, the stitches, the moment, the epidural, I'm waiting for those moments those explanations and they just go oh it just was wonderful so quick how many hours <laughs> of labor do you spend oh only 15 what only <laughs> 15 exactly. it's like woman if you were lucky you know if you're lucky it'll be quick but even then it's a traumatizing yeah, moment i love my children <laughs> My children, you know, I would do it all over again <laughs> if I as long as I remember. Would but you? Would, <laughs> would you do it all over not again? So sure. <laughs> not sure. Eh? But the thing is that the birth moment is traumatizing. Uh, is this other person that has been there growing inside for nine months and is yeah. coming out? And sometimes, you know, my second one came out 
twisted, everything that you could imagine. I had doctors down there, one pushing at the top, the other one pushing at the bottom, and now pushing. I'm like, with the epidural, I don't know where I've got my legs. And so much pushing going on. A lot of pushing and people telling you oh, because you don't know how to push. And I'm like, I'm going like headed. And they say, well, you know, pushing right, you don't know how to push. This is my second child, I should know how to push. The thing is that you have an epidural, so you're not feeling your legs and you're pressing with your brain. Anyways, this yeah. is the kind of thing that people do not talk about. Women, you should talk about these moments because it's true. So you pull yourself, you win yourself, your insights are the other way around. And your baby comes out of your body, and there's gold, there's blood, there's all sorts of things going on there. And if you're so looking, it is. But that's how you, we are all born through all that mess, <laughs> and mess. we don't talk oh, about it either. Yeah. So in, we talk about the good bits, only the good bits. Yeah. And then you're walking like John Wayne. It's like hmm, I've got all these stitches, man, but never mind. I exactly. Fat. I mean, uh, even in. Even in media, even in film and television, you see that you see uh, there's a you know birth scene, for example, the woman is giving birth, and it's like they say sh they say like push, push, and he she pushes like two times, and the baby is born. Like no, and she knows babies are not born in five minutes. Like that doesn't happen. That I never, I I haven't given birth to anyone, but my friends have, and none of them none of them gave birth in five seconds like that doesn't happen at any time like uh and the the thing that a lot of the women also they don't like uh, there's a visceral this a lot bloody and visceral part to birth as well and there's this thing called postpartum depression that women oh, also yeah. don't talk about that at all and now they're starting to and i think they should talking about it more because uh, this thing this living being is leaving your body and leaving you with you know sometimes extra weight and sometimes you know extra hormones and emotions that you can't deal with and uh, all of those things and you you are in a society you are supposed to feel something for this young beautiful creature and uh, sometimes it's hard to do because it's it's unfamiliar to you it's uncanny and um and and you're supposed to feel love for that being and it's i think it's a very hard thing to do and they also society tells you that it's a natural thing you should feel love you have to feel love because otherwise you're unnatural and right. uh, these are all stigmas that we should just burn to the ground and yeah. start talking about more. And a lot of uh, a lot of women are all like either commit suicide or you know die because of depression uh, yeah. after after birth. And that's a really important topic. And maybe yeah. we are a little bit off topic, but me, me, maybe we can connect this to Aaron and Aaron also has a kind of depression after losing the child and uh they are they're even telling her that this child never existed and it's like what i have been carrying this child for a few weeks now like how do you say how do you tell me that it never existed in real life and uh that was a really important moment like birth uh birth was there for a reason i mean they yeah. they could have made Aaron a, a bachelor why why not why not a bachelorette why yeah. is is she a domestic abuse survivor why is she losing a baby these are all important because this story is about life and death at the same time so and uh, it's about the familiar and the unfamiliar at the same time as well yeah, it's really good that you mentioned that, yes, because there's this parallelism and there are grace in both at the time that you are born and the time that you live in this world as well. So, yeah, it's important that this is shown and it's and is frustrating when you're watching it, even if you, you've never experienced maternity yourself. You can imagine what it feels like and it's this frustration 
is where we empathize with the characters, even if we haven't experienced those moments, as you were saying. So, yeah. So, <laughs> let's continue with the uncanny. We are used to this. Oh, my God. Ah. <laughs> Look yeah. at that face. How, what a gorgeous, what a gorgeous looking creature oh, that beautiful. is. You yeah, mentioned well, him obviously. on path three. So you mentioned, um, this is Stephen King's um, Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. Yes, exactly. I have mentioned. And have this mentioned. is one of my traumatizing series. <laughs> I but know. I I loved him. My mom keeps asking, why do I like horror and the gothic? And I said, well, mom, you made me watch this. Oh, vampires, let's sit down and watch it. And I remember this freaked me out. And this is actually the kind of vampire that we are more used to, or we used to be used to, the, the less romanticized side of things. So yeah. we were used to this. And then we were used to this. We were used to exorcists. Yes, we are used to these. And fathers and priests. <laughs> Linda Blair, God. Reagan. <laughs> exactly. But what we're not used to, and this is where the uncanny comes to play in Midnight Mass, is this the blessing? Is this? Yes. This is uncanny. This is what uncanny is in a frame. Like you yeah. can, you can frame this and put in, put it on under your wall, and under it you can say Mike Flanagan on Kenny, and it's like a work of art, and it is a work of art, but also it, it can be a work of art in the form of you know a, a painting, and this is so weird that it could have been any other clothing, it could have been anything. It could have been a black robe. It could have been everything, but why a priest's robe on an on a vampire? Like this is so uncanny. I mean, come on, Absolutely. come on now. Absolutely, and then it's we lovely. have lovely. It's a lovely, lovely scene. <laughs> Love, not not lovely, but it's a lovely screen grab. It's a lovely shot. Yes, yes, it's it's great how we have the one here that that is going to wait a minute it's going to come back don't 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 go don't go don't, don't be go afraid over. don't be afraid i i love like... that i love that i love that he just goes like don't be afraid don't be afraid my people like how can i not be afraid like look at this creature for god's sake you're telling me that this is an angel like are you mental <laughs> how is that possible Absolutely. yeah it is the, the satan thing he knows he never talks the bloody thing and he knows that look look at me i'm just an angel how how i'm still i'm no, an angel I'm of the world yeah so this is absolutely uncanny how does he talk to the priest i don't know because he doesn't speak these things doesn't speak. I think so, yeah. I think they they are. I think they communicate, you know, like telepathically or something like that. Yeah, Probably. I think but so because we, we never see it speak. No, never. Yeah, we never no, see it speak. Never. Yeah, it's it's and just yet, a voiceless creature. And yet he can go there in the church, and so by Flanagan by doing these also is breaking some stereotypes about vampires because he's actually inside the church it should be burning right yeah. now and it's not exactly he should he should be burning and he should be burning not not being there in a in a uh, priest robe and just you know casually chilling uh he should be burning because he yeah. he's in he's in a church i That's mean right but then, he breaks the rule yeah. Then he also, you know, you'd normally see this creature that it can be very an animalistic. And when he's feeding, mm -hmm. it doesn't really, even if you look at him, it continues feeding. It just, it's very primitive, you know, and yet yeah. it presents itself like, look at me, so like a, a coherent being. So he's got these two sides and it really puzzles me. So again, even the behavior of him is uncanny because is is an animal is is a monster he doesn't it behaves by instincts but at the same time he's playing the rules of the game of social game by being there yeah. 
Yeah. How weird is that? So that makes you so uncomfortable. That's the uncanny again in there, in, in the behavior even. Exactly. I mean, this creature can kill everyone in that room, like yes. everybody, but he doesn't do that. He listens to Father Paul and he basically makes these people make... Uh, make he makes these people into vampires like himself yeah. and also that that may speak to the speak to the feeling of feeling alone you know that mm. even a creature like him can feel alone in this world and maybe that's why he made father paul a vampire as well because solit uh, solitary life is not for anyone like is not for even even vampires and uh maybe he just wanted someone to share immortality the eternity with him and mm. then this man comes along father paul and uh he feels maybe sorry for him maybe he sees him as a uh, as a kind of like companion but he actually accepts to go with him on a crate to Crockett Island. That's I mean, he, he could refuse at any moment. He could leave at any moment, but he doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. So yeah. that's, that speaks volumes to me about the uh, eternal life being not so fun by yourself. Yeah, that's true. I've not thought of that either. You know, you're making me think a lot in these two episodes. It's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so true. Yes. You make me think a lot. I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, I love, it. I love it because, yeah, when not, I'm thinking down, damn, I didn't even think of that myself. But no, no, it's so true. I've not thought of uh, from, the, from the side of the monster because I saw these animal instincts all the time. I've not thought if any pony had some kind of uh, rational thinking and even emotional, you know, rational, I'm not sure, but emotional for sure not, but maybe yes. It doesn't show any loving care. Why, you know, as you said, what is their relationship with Father, uh, Father Paul and why him and not someone else? What was he doing there in the cave in the first place? Is he really a fallen yeah. angel or is he a fallen something of a form? Probably, yes. What was he doing there on his own? Was he about to die as well? Was You know, maybe they could do a second part of Midnight Mass and tell us the story of this thing, of this vampire. Yeah, why not? Uh, so, hey, there are possibilities if they want it because we have these open ends as well that we don't know what's going to happen with it. Survivors. So if they want yeah. it, they can continue with, with this. And then maybe maybe tell us the story of the vampire and what happens to him at the end. And if there are any more like him, or if maybe he was the last one of his species, so much to, yeah. you know, so many things, so many questions that come in your, in your head. Exactly. So many questions unanswered. Uh, mm. But maybe that's the, that was the uh, purpose all along to... Yeah leave us question to leave us you know question what this creature was and i think we talk about this in episode one or two uh, we talked about like maybe he is an angel i mean he can be an angel the 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 tv show never never says never says for sure that it's a vampire i mean it's just up in the air it's for us to decide if it's a vampire or an angel and yeah. what difference i mean if you read the old testament as i said before there is no difference actually between an angel and a vampire they are wrathful yeah. and michael slays you know and he's the commander of the army of god and you know there is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, violence uh, committed by angels uh mm -hmm. in a lot of holy books actually and mm -hmm. so the so you question so you question if the if it's really uh an angel or not it could be it mm -hmm. could be why not so again that's the uncanny there as we were saying before yeah Absolutely. uncanny because we are not 
we are expecting an angel to be kind of like a, from a Michelangelo painting, you know, like uh, naked and just like with wings and like a baby, but we're not expecting this at yes. all. Like we are not expecting this like creature from Salem's lot to <laughs> to be an angel. And we like, for example, we when we talk about an angelic smile and angelic face, we're not looking at this. We're not talking about this. We're talking yes. about something beautiful. And so this is uncanny for us regarding an angel, how an angel should look. That's so true. Yes. Yeah. So I think now it's clear if anybody had doubts about what the uncanny is. Now I think with these examples, I think it's a lot clearer. <laughs> Absolutely. This is uncanny. <laughs> yeah, it is. And now it, this brings us to identity, which is then, and we've talked about it somehow already, the perception that we have about ourselves. And so my own mm -hmm. perception about me, but also the perception that the others have of me. And, and between us all the, the different points of view, this is what I would like to talk about. And again, I'm going to mention again Tracy, because she has this quote, this time on Christeva, and she talks about the self as being a liminal entity during this process of abjection. Its boundaries break down. It becomes a sire of contested territory. And in doing so, central ideas of identity, autonomy, and agency are called into question. So is this moment of uh, where we abject our bodies? She's talking here about the body and the perception that we have our own body being um, ourselves and and if we are trapped in our bodies as well and that we are limited in physically but also when we break down these these um, boundaries and and how then our identity identity also changes um but there's also Carl Jung talking about Jung again and the shadow self I think in the series where this is a translation because I'm reading currently this is in English as well, is meeting the shadow. And mm -hmm. this is a Spanish version because I also do programs in Spanish. And and I thought, well, I'll read it in Spanish to talk about this in, in another place about it. But in that book, we have that, um, this is a free translation from one of the parts here, that says that each of us projects a shadow. And this is a quote from Carl Jung that um, each of us projects the shadow that is dark and more compact, the less embodied it is in our conscious life, and that the shadow mm -hmm. constitutes for all intents and purposes an unconscious impediment that spoils our best intentions. Now, this is being translated from German to Spanish, and now I've done the translation from Spanish to English. So it could well be that the, uh, the English version of the translation is not exactly like this, so beware that this is a um, you know two-way <laughs> direction translation. So yes, I think um, in the show if we think from Christopher's point of view, the body, but also we think of Carl Jung, the shadow self. I think yeah. we pretty much cover here the this idea of how the characters portray themselves, but also how the others talk about them. Um, I don't know what you think before I move to the images. What would you like to add about identity? Well, I, would, and I would like to add about identity. Well, identity is important because it's about the self. And mm -hmm. the other is the opposite of the self. And, you know, the condition and the quality of otherness, you know, yeah. uh, of being the other is the state of being different from and alien to the social identity of a person and to the identity of the self, myself. And uh, the, I think the term otherness identifies and refers to the characteristics of who and what of the other, which are, you know, distinct uh, from the symbolic order of things, from the real and uh, from the aesthetic and uh, from political philosophy to from social norms and social identity and from the self. So therefore, the condition of otherness is a person's non-conformity 
to and within with the no social norms of society and the otherness is the condition of this enfranchisement uh, well political exclusion affected either by the state or by the social institutions invested uh, with the corresponding social political power and therefore the imposition of otherness alienates person the person labeled as the other from the center of society and places them at the margins of society for being the other and other is uh the 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 whole talk about other starts with edmund husserl another uh, a very important name in uh when talking about otherness uh husserl is an important name and um well, in, in this case, we have a lot of others. We have a lot of people in the margins on the show uh, yeah. when you talk about it that way. We have Riley, uh, who is pushed to the margins because he was in, in the prison for killing someone. And then we have the creature that was, you know, that's already in the margins because it's the other. And yeah. uh, it's the ultimate other and we have uh, anyone who is different because th there is a close-knit society there there is a close-knit religious society and we talked about sarah before the doctor the doctor doesn't believe in anything she's an atheist as we can see and she's a, a queer person and mm -hmm. uh, these are all important because you know that that becomes a queer and other is very yeah. in, interrelated. So we have others in the show where uh, when they decide that they do not believe anymore, Aaron and Sarah's mother are also pushed to the margins. They are yes. pushed from Bev's social circle of you know firm believers. And uh, they're pushed, to, even po Father Paul is pushed to the margins by Bev by the end of the series as the other. So yeah. we have a lot of others on the show. So we can go to the next slide. I don't know what's evading us. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you're right. It's difficult to separate identity from otherness because yeah. Uh, it, we can only define our identities when we put them, we contrast them with all the people's but yeah no you're right i think we need to recuperate that idea again when we talk about otherness in in another session but definitely mm -hmm. it, it 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 influences identity but yes i was thinking of identity more from a simple point of view without you know even the otherness aspect mm -hmm. of one side right now although we were saying before it's difficult sometimes to divide things so clearly because in the gothic of everything course, blends yeah but when we just think about the identity and the construct of what people see from us you know you ha we have family and community for example and then we have self-perception so when we're talking about you think about Riley you mentioned before and his family the relationship with his family and the expectations mm -hmm. that the family have from him about him he's there he's been dragged into this church because he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't even know if he believes yeah. anymore. So that's, again, yeah, that's identity is, is what my family makes me. And they have these very awkward conversations all the time. The mom is trying to, let's go to church. And, and he's like, really? And the father is always, uh, you know, you can tell he's not, um, his expectations regarding his son are higher and he's been disappointed. So all those things, as a, as a child, you don't want to disappoint your parents. So your identity yeah, starts right. building up with all those elements. And he's been dragged there against his will. He's an adult already, but he wants to please his parents. So all those elements bring and make you who you are, which is actually what Carl Jung and, and the, in his followers now, these people who still... Uh, use Carl Jung for the therapy and for uh, the investigations. Uh, the Jungian uh, students, they, they say, you know, when you're talking about yourself, uh, who are you really? Yeah. And what, all this, your true self gets repressed 
because if you do some exactly. please exactly. the people around you then it's when you're creating all these dark sides then maybe all these repressed people are actually showing their real identities in these so extreme strange situation with this monster which then we'll be talking about self-perception like beth that exactly. her perception is like i'm such a good person you're all corrupt and you're all gonna die because this is what the bible says and she always backs up her arguments and turns things to her own yeah, true, true. but we don't really know where she comes from we don't really know her yeah, they have no idea who she is beyond beyond her belief uh, belief systems and it is so interesting and uh, well considering identity you know uh, psychology today has of course uh, published a lot of articles on this uh, subject and uh, identity includes like many relationship between you know mm -hmm. people uh, people cultivate such as their identity as a child as a friend as a, you know parent as a partner and it involves external characteristics over which a person has little or no control, such as, you know, height and socioeconomic class. And identity mm -hmm. also encompasses political opinions, moral attitudes and religious beliefs, all of which guide the choices one makes uh, on a daily basis. And in this case, you know, Bev is a character that is driven by her religious beliefs her identity is formed around belief but it's such a belief that it's a blind kind of faith it's not she's not thinking clearly she's not thinking that for example after she sees that father paul killed the town drunk she just goes into like we should clean this up we should bury this body she doesn't go oh no this is a sin you killed someone which you should have done as a you know as a religious person that is the first thing that she should have done but she doesn't do that because she she has this blind faith to father paul and yeah. uh because he believes that this is an angel because he believes that this is a miracle she also believes that this is a miracle and this is the monsignor that was sent to them by god and um so apart from apart from her being a religious person over overtly religious person uh, we know nothing about that we know uh, if we know a lot of things for, uh, about a lot of people on the show uh, this is a character this is a show that's character driven a lot of there are a lot of characters of course sometimes it's uh, it's very hard to keep track of who's who on the show but you know bev is one of the standouts but we have no idea who she is we don't know we just know that she believes blindly and that uh in her beliefs she can even sacrifice father paul when it comes down to it and yeah. uh, when we look at family and community uh, as i said before identity is formed within the community within the social order i mean oh. we are we come to this world with some characteristics of course but our entire identity is formed around the people that we live with people yeah. that that are around us i am this way because of the people that raised me and because of the society that i am around and uh, so family and community is important that way uh, while like when structuring your identity is really important uh, in this aspect and riley even though even though he loses faith at one point after coming back to family and community even he starts he starts questioning if i really believe i mean maybe yeah. i didn't lose my faith it's just it's within reach maybe it is within reach and aaron whose entire persona is formed around you know the community 
starts she starts questioning the community after she loses the child and uh, these are all important aspects of identity within the story i think within the narrative yeah so true i mean from a union point of view again um beth is the this personification of all the repressed things that a person could be as, as repressed as you could be and because we we don't see it as a loving person she doesn't love paul she doesn't even love herself and she doesn't she love just, anyone you know when you when you criticize again she she looks at uh, the area when she's pregnant and you can see the look on her face to get there you had to do something first and you can see how repressed she is and <laughs> that is yeah all that's turned out into a monstrosity so she's even accepting this as i said before there there will always be a return of the repressed there will always yeah. be one and return of the repressed is the end of the entire series where she goes ballistic and she goes on a killing spree basically yeah. and uh well it it had to happen at one point she you cannot say repressed she doesn't, she doesn't kill anybody but but she she orders no, no, people she... to kill people <laughs> and she, so she's a She's the kind of mass murderer. <laughs> you know, I'm saying that she doesn't she doesn't love anybody, you know, that she kills everybody with, with just speaking. Which yeah. is yeah, yeah. But she doesn't actually show love towards anybody. Yeah. And that is is someone who <laughs> if you took it to the chair and put it there and say say a psychologist would have a lot of work to do with it. Because yeah. he would, would find a lot of rubbish. She has no love left in her. No love whatsoever. We don't even know that at some point exactly what her past childhood was like yeah. so for her to become this monster. It had to be. It had to be terrible in order yeah. for her to end up this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So we've been talking about. Um, the the um, the uncanny um the um, identity and as we were suspecting we don't have time for the supernatural and the otherness but we've mentioned otherness and the other so that's something we can then elaborate further next time yeah, but course. people supporters thank you very much supporters a uh, coffee and single thing land 1402 let's do that and um thank you again to Che because this was so enlightening and thank again, you so for having fantastic no it's it's been great really it just made me think of a lot of the stuff to keep doing research <laughs> with a little candle i will never leave this i will i will lead my life with this forever <laughs> now i will go everywhere i will go to my lectures at school like this <laughs> you might bring your good look, you never know. It might bring your good You never look. know, you never know. Feeling good. Wait, I'm just talking about the next program with Alika, and this is inspiration, you know. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing with that? And I'm like, what if there is a electricity cut? What happens then? <laughs> I have this. What do you have? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, it's great that we can also be funny talking about serious uh, subjects, have some fun. And uh, so, yeah. please, people, support, but also follow. Follow to chess and Twitter and, and Instagram and follow everything because she does a lot of other things that are very interesting. And uh, have you started your new job, by the way? I never asked. Yeah, I, I I started my new job. Yes, that's true. I started as a research and teaching assistant at the university. So, uh, as I said, I will go to the lectures like this. <laughs> they will be like, she's weird. She's weird. <laughs> yeah, but uh, joking aside, uh, it was it was such a pleasure to be on your show again uh and uh i had so much fun we I should do, 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 do this again sometimes for sure i mean we will talk yeah. about otherness and supernatural yes. we have a lot of things to talk about guys folks listen and to fact, us more 
<laughs> we need to yes we need to spread the voice a little bit more and uh, we're gonna be doing if you keep an eye on the next days we're gonna be uh, doing a live session where you can come and ask questions and then that's a lot of learnings again for you personalized classes it will be live and we'll we just have to agree on the day but for now we just um, give you the heads up so you can start planning and thinking and throw some questions you can just send us anything you would yeah. like to talk about that we might have missed or a point of view which is also very interesting people always see things that we might have not seen yeah um, i love that i love when that happens yeah me too because you learn so much more as well and then you just start discovering more things uh, about what we're talking about as well um it's awareness it's all about awareness so this is all all my links the new logo yippee let's remove that one uh, i love that thank you that was i had just an inspiration and i thought let's change things around let's make the, uh, the message clearer and that was part of that process so <laughs> there we go right yeah, so I love, I love the message thank you well it's all about identity i think alice in gothic land is turning into that space the, the gothic is very broad as we've been talking about and you described so well in episode three and but my mission you know we all have a mission so i guess my mission here is to help others to figure out their identity when they go into the dark side not don't not be afraid don't be afraid of and uh, scary stories or feeling that you're angry with something or talking about death and talking about uncomfortable bodily things because there there's actually parts of our identity too and we don't want to become Beths so let's talk about these things that are uncomfortable so we don't become monsters and share with others so it's always good fun as well so well thank you very much Suchi. i'm really looking forward to the supernatural elements and more thank you and characters and when we talk about the characters we we will talk a lot about beth <laughs> the characters that have a voice and the characters yeah, that we will, as always <laughs> they are like that yeah okay then so thanks a lot and see you next episode episode five will be the next one See so, you. See you all, Gothic horror fans. Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye. Thank you.